This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Thank you, and good morning, church. Like Mo said, I'm Tracy Rogers, and some of you might be thinking, no, Darren, again? Like last week, we had Joel, and Joel was up here, and Mo was gone, and Darren was gone, and Jason was gone, and Joel compared that to being like the fourth string quarterback of the, you know, an NFL football team. And so I got to thinking, well, if Joel is the fourth string quarterback, what does that make me? So I'm like the XFL, okay? I'm like, it ain't even the same league. Like, it really has nothing to do with it. So that's, that's me today. I'm the XFL. But seriously, um, our message today is coming from Psalm 37. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to that now. And so I don't know about how you all are feeling these days, but I'm getting pretty discouraged about the world that we're living in. All I have to say are cities like Buffalo or Uvalde, and you immediately are aware of the mass shootings that have been taking place. Um, Our values are under attack. Simply asking the question, what is a woman, is now debatable and controversial when you begin to answer it. And the wealthy, like the really wealthy, like the billions wealthy, they don't really seem to be using their influence for good. Like I'm just not really sure what privatized space travel is doing for the betterment of humanity. And the people of God are left worried and discouraged and maybe angry. And maybe you're also like a little bit jealous, like why can't I get a break? And so I just want to tell you that that's not anything new for you to feel that way, that the people of God have been feeling that way, and it's actually in his word. Just a quick example, Job is the oldest book of the Bible, and it records Job's words. He says, why do the wicked still live, continue on, and also become very powerful? King Solomon, the son of David, wrote, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. And Jeremiah, a prophet of God for 40 years, would cry out to God and say, why is the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? These weren't perfect men, but these were God's men. These were righteous men, and they were struggling with the success of evil. And they believed God is sovereign, and he is sovereign, and that just means he's in charge of everything. And when you believe God is in charge of everything, then you believe that he could fix what's going on around us, and so you're left going, if he can, why won't he? And so this sentiment has been echoed, not just in the Bible. You're not just feeling it today. It's all throughout church history. The church has been persecuted from the beginning of the church. Look at Acts and beyond. The church is persecuted. Global Christians are persecuted to this day. And if that isn't bad enough, then we also have this sort of obsession with wealth and celebrity. All right? We're 
obsessed with being wealthy or appearing wealthy or who are the wealthy and I want to look like them and I want to do what they're doing. And I also think that they may, um, there's more value to those people. There's a, a celebrity status that we're putting on the wealthy people of America. Uh, when I was growing up, really the only kind of exposure that you would have to really wealthy people was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I don't know if any of you, I have some laughs, so some of you remember Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And Robin Leach would come on and he would tell you about um, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. And you would get to see yachts and houses and vacation spots of the rich. And it was one hour on Sundays. And that was pretty much the only exposure that I remember getting to the really wealthy people. Well, now we're seeing it every day. You're scrolling it. It's every day. It's everything you're looking at. I mean, I don't want to uh, make any assumptions about the heart condition, but I just think that there's people with a lot of money and they're just behaving kind of badly. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but like, have you ever seen a real housewife? <laughs> like, they're just not really behaving godly. I think that's fair to say. There's also endless YouTube videos of the wealthy's vaulted closets. I don't mean a vaulted ceiling. They actually have vault doors to open their closets because of all the value that's inside of them. So today, our message is how to pray when the world is winning. Psalm 37 is where we will have our message. I'm only going to read to you the first 11 verses of this psalm. Do not fret because of evildoers. Now, I just want to stop right there. I love that word fret. I love that that word fret is right here in the Bible because to me, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but I have a little bit of an accent. And so, yeah, Mo said amen when I said that. So... <laughs> But fret to me sounds like something that my mamma would have said to like my sister and I when we were little, like, what are you girls fretting about? So anyway, I just think it's funny that fret is actually a word that we have in the Bible and maybe we should all be saying fret just a little bit more. And if you're, if you're not from here, but you moved here, just say fret and they'll be like, oh, they must be from here. So anyway, <laughs> so back to the scripture, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. 
for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. I'm gonna pray. Holy Spirit, please come and have your way in this message. I pray you would open our hearts and open our minds to receive your teaching today. Amen. Just reading the first part of this psalm, um, it, it sets the tone. There's uh, uh, evil that's happening around us, and he said, the psalmist is acknowledging it, that evil is succeeding, successful people are all around us, and we're clearly told to let it go. That Hebrew word for fret actually means to burn or kindle in anger. But if you read other Bibles, it's also translated do not worry or don't get upset. So you don't have to be the extreme raging version of that word for this to apply to you. So if you are in any way feeling fearful, worried, upset, or angry at the world around you, this is for you. I wanna make the point that I'm not saying wealth is bad, and so if you've started to hear that message, I'm not saying that. We're talking about envy, and we're talking about jealousy, and so that's something you can take a look at. But um, wealthy people are not, across the board, bad. It's also true that not all anger is bad, not all um, fear that turns into anger is bad. I'll give you an example. On Mother's Day of this year, um, my family, we were kind of spread apart. I have um, kids and some are in college and they're all driving and so we just kind of get spread apart. And so what worked out best for us was to have a Mother's Day dinner. So we meet at dinner in Cool Springs, but we have three cars there. Um, and it's me and my husband, and we have three kids that are, we're still connecting with in that way. So it's time to go home, and so we just have like a Rogers caravan that's heading back to our house, and our daughter had managed to like get ahead of us in the traffic. And it was like, okay, great, we get to like see how she's driving. This is a great idea for us. So we go through Cool Springs and then we end up on Mac Hatcher and we're going all the way through Mac Hatcher until you get to the very end of it where it hits Columbia Avenue. And so we're right there at the tractor supply if you know the area. And so she's in front of us and we're like two cars back. She's the first one in the left turn lane to go south. And we're two cars behind her in the left turn lane. And it's a red light. And my husband just goes, well, let's see if she yields on green. And the light turns green. We don't get the arrow. The light turns green. And she pulls out into the intersection. And the oncoming cars pull out into the intersection. And she just turned. Like, she just ran right in front of oncoming traffic. Well, we are terrified, and my husband Kevin just starts laying on the horn, like, hello, there's something bad that's about to happen. There's a bad driver in the area. And so he's just <laughs> honking his horn. It was just like, all we could do is just like honk the horn. And the cars stop, and like, there was not an accident. And she just, you know, zips on, and it takes us a little bit, a little bit to get home. And I can't tell you how mad we were, like so mad, but we were mad because we were so scared 
because like what almost happened and then you're just like, is she doing this all the time? Doesn't she know how to drive? And now, and so then you like, you have to like correct, like I'm on a ride with her or you're going to make sure her driving is like all right hand turns. So like she can just, <laughs> just turn right. As long as you're turning right, you know, just three rights make a left and just never turn left again. So, but anyway, so I'm not talking about that kind of fear and worry and anger either. That's healthy. That's like part of, of what we do to like make change and, and help the world. I'm talking about that kind of fear and worry and anger and you're helpless and you can't do anything and you're just mad. You're just holding it. So we're told, do not fret about evildoers or other people's success. And the scripture says, it is causes harm. But fortunately, the psalm also tells us how to combat this worry. The first thing we need to have is an eternal perspective. Psalm 37 verse 12 says, the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. Have you heard the story of two farmers? One is a Christian and one is an atheist. And the atheist challenges the Christian to a contest. He says, I got an idea. Let's plant our crops you work six days a week and take off on Sundays. And the atheist decides he's going to work seven days. And then at the end of the harvest season, we'll compare the crops. So they go through the whole season. October rolls around. The atheist comes and surveys the Christian's harvest. And indeed, the atheist's crops were more and bigger than what the Christian had. And the atheist says, what do you have to say about that? And the Christian says, God doesn't settle all his accounts in October. It's not short term. It's eternal perspective. The Psalm teaches us that no matter how it looks to the wicked, their time is short lived. And our worry comes from a short sighted human perspective. God will defeat evil, and we want him to defeat evil. But what happens is we don't see anything changing, and so then we get fearful, and that fuels our aggression, and then our human response is just making us a victim of an earthly perspective. We forgot eternity. And, and here's the thing. I don't want you to even go like, well, it looks like they're succeeding, but they're not. Verse 7 says they are. They actually are. And our tendency is to worry about it. I mean, they're plotting evil and they're getting it done. And with every successful act, they're getting braver and they're getting more courageous and they're doing more and they're being bolder and they're thinking, I can't be stopped. There's nothing I can't do. And the scripture says that when this begins to happen in the evil people around us, that God is laughing at them. God laughs. It reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where George and uh, Jerry are talking about Superman. And Jerry's like, do you think Superman is super funny? 
And George is like, no way, he's not funny. And he's like, how can it be Superman not have super funny, super humor? Anyway, it doesn't matter. God laughs. You don't think of God laughing very often. Sorry. They're like, that was bad. I'm laughing at that, Tracy. Okay. But God laughs. God laughs when evil people think that they're, they're succeeding. God laughs at evil people when they think there's nothing that can stop them. And he's not laughing at the situation. He's not laughing at the harm that comes to us. He's not laughing at the, at the difficulties in your own life. I mean, we learned last week in Psalm 116, uh, the scripture says, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And he's almost going like, you think you got me by taking them? You just brought them home. He's laughing at their arrogance because he knows they will be cut off. The psalmist, they will perish. They will vanish away. They will pass away. They will be no more. An eternal perspective reminds us that the day of the Lord is coming. Satan will be defeated. Jesus will reign the earth in righteousness. And an eternal perspective will help ease your worry for today. Amen. The second thing the psalm teaches us is we need to reframe abundance. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. When we start talking about abundance and prosperity, it can be a confusing topic for some Christians. Um, we have verses, verse in, um, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, he pro God promises to prosper you. Um, even Jesus himself said, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. And so what's happened is the message of prosperity and the message of abundance are getting kind of confused with like prosperity and abundance in this world. Like, the Christian teaching you'll say is like, you've just got, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. God's going to make you healthy and wealthy. And if you're not, then it was your problem. You did something wrong. You had a lack of faith. You didn't do something right. It wasn't God. God promised it. You did something wrong. You don't have it. But I don't think that's what it means. I know that's not what it means. Sometimes less is more. Even the notorious B.I.G. said, mo money, mo problems. I'm just saying. Oh, look at that. Yes, yes. A notorious B.I.G. Millennials are trading the American dream and becoming RVers. They've decided that they don't want the debt of home ownership and they would actually rather be debt-free, have some freedom, enjoy the scenery of the country, get back to nature, and they recognize that that's providing them the self-care and the soul care that they really need. And so we would sort of look at it like, you don't, you know, you're not going after the American dream. And they're like, uh, a scarcity of the American dream means an abundance of peace and freedom. It's, it's abundance in a different way. I had a, a full-time job and I had two of my three kids were born at that time and they were in daycare. And we were, we were really juggling lots of things. And if you're like 
two working parents, especially with preschool kids, which is what we had, um, there's just this like one sick and they can't go to daycare. And so you're like, well, are you going to take off work or am I going to take off work? Like, I can't take off work. I got a, I got a meeting. It's like, well, you go to your meeting and then you come home and then I'll go. And so we did this like for years, we were doing that sort of thing. And then I got pregnant with our third child, our daughter, and we started having the discussion like, maybe we just have you quit work. And so we were like, okay. So I quit work. And so I went from a scarcity of income to an abundance of availability. Like suddenly now, if something happened to the kids, I'm there. And he needed to go somewhere, or do something, or work late, didn't matter. Like that just kind of alleviated that, that worry and stress. And so that, that worked for us. And there were these seasons, like as the kids started growing up and began to go to school and, and we would kind of talk like, hey, do you think maybe you want to go back to work? And I'd be like, why? <laughs> but like my point was sort of like, for money? To get more stuff? That doesn't really seem worth it. I mean, we, have, we have stuff. So abundance doesn't necessarily get connected to money or things. And we wanted an abundance of time. If your discontentment stems from not having the things of this world, then you're caught up in materialism. And you're never going to find contentment because the world is always going to convince you that you need something else to make you happy. And then you're going to see somebody that's got that thing and you're just convinced it makes them happier. And you're going to try to get it too and it won't work and you try to get another thing. This is seeing abundance as the world sees it and not as God offers it. But to be fair, some of you may be like, that's not really what I worry about. Like, I'm, I, I don't need all the stuff. I don't even envy the stuff. But you still may have this issue because you still see that good things are happening to bad people. Okay? I did not say that wrong. Good things are happening to bad people. I've been walking with Jesus for 18 years. I was a Christian from a child, but I'm talking about, like, relationship like walking with him, talking with him in his word, getting to know him. And when our first son was born and he began to go to daycare, like I was talking about, he was the bad kid. And I'm not really exaggerating. It's funny to say now, cause he's like, he's so good right now. Um, but he's also 20 and he's in college. So that helps. But anyway, he, he was bad. And I mean, like he's the kid in daycare. You don't want your kid playing with. He's the kid that bit your kid. That was my kid. And it was stressful. Like, it's kind of funny looking back on it, but it was stressful. Like, I'd just walk in every single day at daycare and there'd be an incident report like he did something else. And, and we would get kicked out of daycares and I'm not exaggerating, we'd get kicked out of daycares and we'd have to go to another one. And then it just, it was really, it was just a really big issue that we had with him when he was little. And uh, you know what I did during that season? I just ran to Jesus all the time. And then, you know, Kevin and I, we've been married, it's 25 years this year, but there was like a point in our marriage when it wasn't really the fairy tale that we had thought it was gonna be on both sides, okay? I wasn't a princess. He wasn't Prince Charming. And you know what we did? We just ran to Jesus. 
And then we had seasons of, of financial struggle in our life. And we were just, we were living paycheck to paycheck and, and we're just kind of trying to do what we can do. And we look back and the bills were getting paid and, and we weren't going without anything. And even to this day, we kind of look back at these seasons in our life and we go, I don't even know how we made it through that. And we just go, Jesus. We just ran to Jesus every time. And so the struggle built my faith relationship. The struggle brought me closer to Jesus. The struggle gave me more of Him. If the wealthy have no struggle, they may not turn to God. And what good is a life without Jesus? There's a Chris, Chris Arnott. I might be saying his name wrong. I'm thinking Arnod. That may not be how to say the last name. And some of y'all are like, when did Chris get two syllables? But anyways, Chris Arnod. Chris Arnod was an Amer he is an American photographer. He worked 20 years on Wall Street and then quit his job and decided he was gonna go work among the homeless and photograph the homeless in the South Bronx. He was also an atheist. He'd been an atheist since his college years. So his college years, 20 years of working, and now he's gonna work with the homeless, and he's an atheist. He thought when he went to see the homeless, that they would be equally cynical about believing in God. But they weren't. They had faith. He said he would go into these homeless places and there would be um, needles laying around and a worn out Bible among them. He would see people wearing crosses. He went in one tent and there's a picture of the Last Supper hanging on a wall. He met a woman he said, tell me about yourself. She said, I'm a prostitute, and I'm a mother of six, and I'm a child of God. And even though he admitted that he didn't believe what they believed, he knew that their faith gave them hope in, that, in, in the situation that they were living in. They struggled, but, but Jesus gave them hope in the midst of it. And it began to reveal to him that his beliefs were more of a social construct that was available to him because he did not have a life of struggle like others did. He admitted atheism was a belief afforded to him because he was wealthy. Now that uh, is something I've seen with my own eyes. Like I've seen wealthy people who do not know God and they have no use for God. They're like, my security is in me. My security is in my account. It's everything Mo said when he started. Their security is in everything else of this world. They don't need God. What good is the good life and it is absent of God. And our struggles may be the very thing that keeps us close to him. And sometimes the more you have of the world, the less you have of him. And that's not abundance. 
I was curious about Chris Arnaud because the interview where he first talks about all that was from 2013. It's been almost 10 years. And I was kind of like, well, what's he doing today? He's still doing it. He's still or photographing the homeless and he's kind of doing more like all along the East Coast. Uh, he's still doing everything. I saw an interview with him from last year and the interviewer said, hey, you were an atheist. Like, do you still hold to those beliefs? And he said, I don't. He said, he's been changed by his work. And he was raised Catholic and he said he's going back to mass. And he said, I know I've got a long way to go, but I don't feel the way I used to feel anymore about God. And y'all, the humble, the meek, the poor showed this wealthy American white guy that his life needed God. And that is why God calls them blessed. They know. We have to see abundance as God sees it, the abundance of him, the abundance of his presence, the abundance of joy, of peace, of love, of mercy. You have to learn that you already may have an abundance that you think you don't have. You already have it. Rest in him, he'll show you your abundance. We won't envy the world when we understand we already have all we need in God. The third thing that the psalm is teaching us is we need to live counterculture. Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 21, right at the end of that verse. The righteous shows mercy and gives. And then verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. We can't be in the culture and try to change it their way. The scripture says, it's verse eight, do not fret. It only causes harm. If you're trying to do it their way, if, you're, if they're yelling and you're yelling back and they're fighting and you're fighting back and they attack and you attack back, it says it only does harm. We have to live differently. So just walking through what those verses say, we gotta trust the Lord. And this is a basic part of Christian living. Like if you are a Christian, then you're just like, I trust the Lord. But that doesn't mean that you're gonna understand everything he does. Um, every now and then I will go to Kevin. Not that long ago, I went to Kevin and I said, we need to change the outdoor light fixtures. And Kevin's like, I don't understand why when you change the light fixtures, the light fixtures are fine. And I was like, I need you to trust me that we need to change them. And he's like, okay. And I changed them. And he's like, you're right. They're so much better now. It's like a little thing. He didn't understand. He trusted me. He gets it. He needs to do it more. He's over there shaking his head. No, I don't. We're good. We don't trust because we understand. We trust because of who God is. We trust him because he is righteous. We trust him because he is good. And so when you encounter something, and you're like, I just don't understand what's going on, then just throw your hands up and go, Lord, I trust you. I just trust you, I don't know. We're told to do good. Do good. Serve your neighbors. 
find people who need something and share out of your overflow. Do things that are good for your health and good for your soul. Volunteer at a charity. Just do some good in the world. Maybe you, you'll let go of some of that anger when you start doing good, active good. Show mercy. You've been extended so much mercy. We have so much mercy. Lamentations says that his mercies are new every morning. And in my mind, I like to think that's because like, I, I use so much the day before, like there's none left. We have to start all over the next day. Like we use so much mercy every single day. We don't even know. And so what I just want to tell you is like, we need to find ways to show mercy. Like parents, like, yeah, your kids are going to break the rules. And sometimes you tell them like, hey, you broke the rule and you know the punishment, but today I'm not going to punish you and I'm going to show you mercy. You live that out. If you, if you have employees and they do something wrong, then maybe you just show them mercy and explain to them like, I know what you deserve, but I'm, I'm giving you another chance. I'm showing you mercy today. If you, if you go out and someone in the service industry, like the worst server, like it was terrible and they don't deserve a tip, like give them a great tip anyway. Mercy. Withhold what they deserve. It doesn't, show mercy. God's people show mercy. He shows it to us. We're called to show it to the world. Give. Give. God is a lavish giver. He gave his son. Imitate that. Give more. Share more. Do you have a scarcity mentality? Do you find yourself wanting to just hold on to things and, and keep your things with you? And maybe you need to just learn to like let go of them and just, just start sharing them. There was a, a time in my life, there were some, some possessions that I had that I really coveted. And as I started to grow in relationship with God, I was like, I gotta get rid of this thing. Like I love it too much. Like, I had to get rid of it. And for those of you who think that this message is telling you to quiet your voice and avoid politics, I want you to see we are called to speak wisdom and justice. Because our systems that are supposed to exact justice are failing, and many acts that are done in the name of justice are just oppressing one group for the sake of another. And we have to continue to speak justice for women, for children, for people of color, for the disadvantaged, for the marginalized of our communities, because that's what people of God do. It gives us an opportunity to reflect on the life of Jesus, uh, a man, the son of God who left the glory and splendor of heaven to come to earth, to become poor, to be despised. He loved, he gave, he taught, he healed, he touched, he wept. And then he was arrested and sentenced to death on a cross. And it looked like evil won, but God doesn't settle accounts on Friday. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, defeating Satan. Though Satan bruised his heel... Jesus crushed his head. And the day is coming when the wicked will pass away and they will be no more and the people of God will have Jesus as their inheritance forever. Come, Lord Jesus. But the, the, 
the sermon series, Summer in the Psalms, is how to pray. And so you might be like, that is good stuff. But how do I pray? I'm going to tell you. How do I pray? Thankfulness. You're going to approach the Lord with thankfulness. Last week, Joel preached 116 verse 1. I love the Lord because he hears. Oh, thank you, Lord, for hearing. Thank you for hearing me. Next is confession. You got to confess your worry and your anger and your fear. I want you to speak specifically. I want you to say, I'm afraid of this. I'm fearful of this person. I'm too angry at this person. Lord, let me release the anger that I got for that person. Speak specifically about it. Next is your personal petition. This is where you ask God, I need an eternal perspective. I'm seeing the world too short-sighted. Ask the Lord to reframe abundance and teach you what abundance is in your life. Ask the Lord to help you live differently. Lord, teach me to trust you more. Show me opportunities to do good. Show me where I can express mercy. Show me how to give more. Give me opportunities to speak wisdom and justice. And then you speak his promises. It's it's right here in the Psalm. It's, It's right here what he says he's gonna do. You say, Lord, I pray for justice and righteousness to prevail over evil. Lord, I pray the reins of wickedness are broken. I pray you give us strength to endure until the day of the Lord. You just pray what he said he was gonna do right here. You've been around a good prayer? They're just praying what he said. And then you praise him. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for doing what I know you will do. Thank you. And then you amen. And then you live different. You don't amen and go, well, I'm still mad. Uh -uh. You got amen, you go like, okay, I'm gonna change. I'm looking at things differently now. The most often quoted verse from this psalm is verse four. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's this promise that is given to us when we turn our heart and our life to Jesus. And then the desires of our heart won't be for the things of this world anymore. They're gonna align with the work that God wants to do in you and the work he wants to do through you. And you're gonna want what he wants and and there's just no better way to live. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray Uh, Psalm 37 prayer over us. I want to invite you, um, maybe you're going to take your hands like this and and say like, Lord, I'm going to open my hands and offer what I have and and receive what you have. Maybe you want to be like a little child and put your hands in prayer. Maybe you want to hold the hand of the person next to you and say like, hey, we're a little too angry or we're a little too materialistic and we need to, we need to do something about this together. So let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for being God, who is God and all-powerful and the sovereign Lord, who loves us and sees us as his children and knows our hearts and knows our pain. We confess to you, Lord, that we are worrying, we are angry, and we are fearful of the world around us, Lord. We are sorry. Forgive us, Lord, for our worry. 
We confess that we are angry with political leaders. We are angry with those who make laws. We are angry um, with those who aren't doing any good. Remove the anger from us, Lord. We ask for an eternal perspective in this world. May we remember that, Lord, you prevail. May we ask you, Lord, to reveal the abundance that we already have in our life and teach us, Lord, to let go of the things of this world. Show us, God, how to live differently. Show us how to be a light in a dark world. Show us how we can trust you more. Give us opportunities to do good for your kingdom and for ourselves. May we recognize the importance of mercy and extend it to those around us. May we give more. May you give us opportunities to speak wisdom and justice to those around us. Lord, we pray for justice and righteousness to prevail over evil in this world. We pray for your kingdom to come. We pray that the reins of wickedness would be broken. We pray that the plans of evil would fail. And we pray, Lord, for strength and courage and endurance until, Lord Jesus, you return. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for your promises to us that we receive. And may we live it out in our life today and this week. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.